Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. today with Linda Perlman Gordon, who is the author of the book, Mom, Can I Move Back In With You? A Survival Guide for Parents of 20-somethings. But that's not all. She is actually the author of five books. This book is a gem. She has a really unique style where she conducts focus groups with parents. And so there are little anecdotes from real parents about what they're dealing with and and research. And she covers all kinds of fascinating issues. And she knows what she's talking about because Linda is a psychotherapist and she works with parents of teens and 20-something kids. So really, really excited to talk with Linda today. Linda, thank you so very much for uh, coming on the show today to share your wisdom. As you write in here, mom, can I move back in with you? Adolescence has kind of started to creep and become longer and longer and longer, it seems like. And then now we have this new whole phase of emerging adulthood that kind of happens after adolescence. So, you know, parents are kind of on the hook a lot longer these days. It seems like your job is not done uh, at 18 when the kids go off on their own. And so there's a lot more issues, I think. And it's really, really interesting to me how parents can successfully make that jump. What got you so interested in this period and how did you come up with 270 pages worth of material um, about this topic? Well, life is the mother of invention. And actually, when I wrote the book with my co-author, we were both the parents of 20-somethings. And what we realized from our own experience was that we were closer to our children than we had been, or we were closer in a different way than we had been with our parents. And so given that we'd written several books before this, we decided to explore questions as we were developing along with the the children that we were raising. And we decided to hold focus groups with a lot of other 20-somethings and parents of 20-somethings, and we started to ask a lot of questions. But one of the things that we noticed was that the markers of adulthood were not as clear anymore. So in the late 60s, early 70s, if you got married, I think that the average age was really somewhere in the young 20s. A lot of kids got married after college and they moved right out of their parents' house and they knew they were adults. They also could afford to rent an apartment using their combined incomes with their jobs. And all of that broke down. 
somewhere in the, I guess, 90s or so, um, kids could no longer support themselves out of college. They weren't getting married out of college. And they were actually going to be single for about another seven years more than the generation before. So things were changing. Interesting. So you had started conducting these focus groups and were you were were you like surprised by what you found or was it kind of in line like other parents were saying the same things that you were experiencing? Well, yes. What we were doing was we were pretty open to whatever was going to come our way. But the truth of the matter was, is that a lot of people were having a similar experience to us, yet everybody seemed to think they were the only ones. So there was no built-in community anymore for parents. So many people thought they were an aberration or that their kids were failing to launch. And the truth of the matter is, is that this was just something larger than every individual family. This actually is just exactly what you're just saying on page 29. This mother that you talked about who said, no, you wouldn't be interested in what my husband and I do. We are aberrant. Many parents think their experiences are atypical because they don't talk about these things with other parents. And uh, this really struck me because this was what well, a lot of the research that I did was we'd bring parents of, you know, incoming college students all into a big room and ask them questions and ask them what they how they thought other parents were going to answer. And then we just project all of the data immediately right on the board on a big, you know, big projector and show them, hey, here's how you thought other parents were going to answer. And here's how they really answered. And there was just always this like moment when you switch from one slide to the other where there's this gasp in the room, you know, and parents realize that, oh my God, everyone else feels the same way that I do. And I thought that everyone like felt differently or had this different experience, but um, they don't. And a lot of this stuff was related to alcohol use, but I, we found this time and time again, no matter what question we threw at them, that parents... They think that other people are not struggling with this stuff in the same way that they are. And I think then that makes it really hard because that makes you feel like you can't open up about it or you can't talk to other people about it. And so obviously, wow, it's great to join some of these focus groups that you're having and just be able to go talk to other parents with a, you know, uh, a couple of amazing moderators here to walk you through it. But what can parents do if they don't have that? Well, it's kind of natural that they don't have it. So not only are they a little bit more silent because they might be embarrassed, but besides that, the, the natural community of parents, like you, you had a community because you would go to PTA meetings. You had a community because your kids were um, playing soccer and baseball together. So you would stand around and talk to other parents. You lose that when all your all the kids go to colleges and they go their own way to college and you're not really friendly with the, you know, parents who live in another state that you're that your children are making friends with. So you lose that natural community. And in fact, it even made it more difficult when we placed this book in the bookshelf of the bookstores. There wasn't really a place for books on parenting older children, parents don't go looking for those books. It's a bad market, right? Right. So it's, it's a built-in conundrum. The bookstores are like, conundrum. where do we put this? 
when we first wrote the book. We were on the very early side of this. And then it got to be a little bit easier. And parents were then surrounded by their friends who had kids moving back home. What I found really interesting was that a lot of the articles I was reading, the advice that they were giving to helping launch their kids and the advice that made parents understand whether their kids were acting more adult was backward. I didn't agree with that. So are you talking about like, you mean um, the stuff that works for teens and tweens and younger kids doesn't work anymore? once they get to the 20-something years? Well, that's certainly, yes. But the one question that every interviewer asked me, every journalist asked me was, do you ask your kids to pay rent? And everybody expected me to say yes. Uh, And I didn't say yes. I didn't say yes. Because the whole point of moving back home was to help you become financially solvent. Right. The whole point of moving back home is because you can't afford, you afford rent. Why would you be living with mom and dad well, in your basement? Right. <laughs> it was just silly. Right, right. So what what we did is we established what we considered were the markers of adulthood for um, for parents, so they could figure out if their kids were behaving in a way that would help them move on. And so I would say, you know. So many 20-somethings were coming home and they were underpaid in their first job, or they might even be in an an unpaid internship, which they were happy to get because it was going to help them build a resume for their hopefully next job, which would be paid. And so we would say, no, don't have them pay rent if you can afford to keep your house and, you know, cover the mortgage when your kid's at home, if you weren't going to downsize and you were going to keep that house, then let your kids it's move back home. sitting there anyways. Yeah, right. yeah. So we decided to look at the ben- what we consider the new benchmarks of adulthood. And so what parents needed to do is they needed to look at behavior. And so some of the things that, that we wrote about were taking personal responsibility. So that means if your 20-something was looking for a job and was actually waking up in the morning, going online, trying to, you know, get his or her resume in, doing things that you thought were moving the ball along, that's taking some personal responsibility. If your kid is sleeping in and, you know, going on the Xbox, et cetera, et cetera, that's not taking responsibility. That's when you step in. Okay. So I like that. Looking at behaviors, you think mostly that's tied to work and that's tied to looking for jobs and trying to move themselves towards financial independence? I think that's a big one. I also think another behavior which really doesn't have anything to do with them moving back home because they could fail at this even not living under your roof are things like, you know, having appropriate boundaries, lack of entitlement, like assuming that you were going to wait on them. We thought that it was really important to have cultural competence, especially in today's world and in the workplace. And those are things that you could use this period of them living at home to kind of talk about these values or just have some kind of conversations that would help your kid get some of these. But one would hope that as a parent, you were doing this for a long time beforehand. 
page 43, you talk about a dad named Steve who permits his son Aaron to use his credit card to pay for his son's health club charges. When, uh, I guess this was in, during a focus group, so you guys talked about this and you have kind of quotes from Steve. So when asked why he doesn't share this information with his wife, Steve's response is, eh, she thinks Aaron should only go to the health club if he can afford it. I think he works hard. He doesn't make enough money to maintain a quality of life that I can afford to give him. In this instance, the father is not fearful of pampering his son while the mother worries that continuing to indulge her son will hinder his ability to grow up. So I think there's just like so much going on there that's really interesting. But one what one issue there, uh, of course, is um, the the disagreement that can happen between two parents on how to approach this phase or where to draw the boundaries. You talked about boundaries earlier, which I want to get to. But it's really interesting thinking about how to kind of navigate those disagreements. So <laughs> this this guy's response was just to not tell the wife <laughs> that Right. That he was actually going ahead and paying for the health club charges. That doesn't sound super healthy, but um, mm -hmm. what, I mean, um, is there a certain point where you just need to kind of say, hey, dad's going to do it this way, mom's going to do it this way, or do you think you need to like present a united front and, uh, you know, work through everything or where, where do you see parents being successful in those kind of negotiations yeah. on boundaries? I, I think that if we use this instance, and I actually, in my private practice, I, I see a lot of couples. So I, I feel like this is kind of a couple's um, issue first before a parenting issue. And, you know, it's really common that one parent will have a different value system than another. And that comes from how you were raised, right? Sure. And let's just take this pretend family and say that money is not an issue for them. So they have whatever they need, but dad thinks mom will think that he's pampering. The thing to do is have a conversation with each other and for dad to say, okay, listen, I see that our son is taking personal responsibility and this is how I see it. He doesn't have any debt. He doesn't blah, 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 you know, and, yeah, and he wakes right, up on right. time and then, and, and say, this is important to me. What do you think? And then I've got to hope that she will then say, well, I worry that this will lead to him having the sense that things come easy, et cetera. And so my, my hope is after talking to each other, they both get to express what their concerns are and they, they will both make sense. And in that, in that moment, one of them has to, you know, decide or concede to the other one. Yeah. Whoever it's more important to probably is going to win, honestly. Yeah, I think, yes. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay. You might have to let a couple go. The ones that are less important to you, let those go. And the ones that, you know, really matter, maybe you put your foot down on those and say, no, you know, if the gym is the thing that's that really, you know, matters to you as a parent. Right. I mean, you may think your kid really needs to work out. How do you, you know, I don't know. Maybe they went to the doctor recently and their triglycerides were high. I have no idea. But I think that that stuff should be discussed and then one of you make the decision. And also, I think it has to do with um, a lot of, you know, if it's really important to you, if I'm the kind of person who loves to work out all the time and it really like helps me to de-stress after right. my day, then I want my kid to be able to to do that too. And 
Also, if you've seen it really be beneficial for your child and, and experienced the benefit of something like that for them, then you could really be, um, uh, you know, something that's important to you or something that you want to provide to them, even if they can't really afford it right now. That's an excellent point because you're bringing up the fact that, like I, I said, maybe there was something that exercise would help um, medically, but there's also, there are also ADD kids that find themselves focusing better when they exercise. There are kids that are slightly depressed that find themselves less depressed when they exercise. So one of the parents could bring that stuff up and then it becomes a clear answer. Uh, Okay. I love this. Okay. It's on page 53. One father, Michael, laughed when he told us a story about his 21-year-old son's first day of classes in his senior year of college. Mm -hmm. Michael was doing some paperwork on his desk when the phone rang. He answered the phone and it was his son, Matt, calling while walking to class. Matt said, Dad, can you do me a favor? Log on to the net, go to the homepage of my university and search for the location of this history seminar. I don't know where to go and class starts in 15 minutes. So, of course, Michael logged on, and with the aid of high-speed internet access, was able to get the information within three minutes. He told his son where to go and hung up, scratching his head and thinking about what just occurred. Sure, Michael said. I could have told him I was too busy and he needed to go get all that information for himself before he ventures out, but I didn't. I paid too much tuition to sit back and let him miss classes because he can't get it all together. I also picked my battles. This one was just not important enough. And to be really honest, I like the fact that Matt knows I'm no farther away than the phone in his backpack. It just goes to show that we all have different styles. If this, yep. if, if this father felt like a concierge father, then it would be too much. Yeah, right, But if right, this right. father was saying, you know, that's kind of connection and my kid is really basically independent and this is a quirky moment, I'm going to give into it. Not, it. That's why this is so hard because taken out of context, that could look like you are absolutely pandering to this child and the child will never grow up right he's now gonna just never gonna get stuff together before he goes ventures out on his own and right right but that may not be the case at all you know it just may be a connection that the two of them have and you know at some point yes this boy is gonna have to learn to figure it out himself and when the father thinks it would I think the most important thing about the book was to let parents know that you're not the only one. Other parents are dealing with these really tiny little examples that actually can build entitlement, can make it so that you are your child's external brain. And you don't want to be that because you end up crippling your kids. It's everything in moderation. Everything needs balance. But how do you know when you're, crossing the line or when it's going too far or when you're becoming the external brain? Is that just um, something every parent has to figure out for themselves? I think you have to go back and look at some of those markers of adulthood that we've created, which have to do with whether your child is taking personal responsibility for moving towards the next um, phase of life. And age if of, your age appropriate is, responsibility, age of, exactly. <laughs> more right. than they took last year at this same time. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point because, you know, your twenties, your the years in your twenties have become a really big exploration. You know, there are more kids going to graduate school now than had ever gone before. Generations ago, college was enough. 
And so people are not finding that job until they are in their late 20s. They're not getting married until they are in their late 20s. And they're not having kids, many of them, until they are in their early 30s. And it, it usually is the, the clearest marker to the 20-something or 30-year-old, whether they are an adult, is when they have a kid. Sure, yeah. Because you are now, it's like the book stops there, right? Your, your parent is not that child's parent. You are the parent. You know that you have grown up at that point. You just hope that you have all these other ducks in the road so that you deserve that responsibility or can handle it in a grown-up way. We're here with Linda Perlman Gordon talking about 20-somethings or teenagers who are on the cusp of heading out of the home. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. Teenage years are perfect years to have your kids make some mistakes. And the way I would say that is that it's not that it's bothering you as much as it is. You do not want your kid to feel like they don't believe in their ability to edit their own papers. We all want opinions. But if you always get it from mommy and daddy, you may never think that yours is good enough. But one of the examples we heard was was about, I think it was about a car going through inspection. And this dad said, you know, the car needs inspection. And the kid said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And probably about three days worth of those little reminders. And father said, come on, I like do it. And he said, oh, come on, dad, can't you do it for me? And the father said, no, I don't want to do it for you. And the son said, which is so perfect, you've coddled me for 20 plus years. Do you think I'm going to go down without a fight? And they both started laughing. (laughs) Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable. And your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.